Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Amen. Thank you, Scott. And thank you for that word, Chris. It was awesome to see how God is working and speaking in our families and uh, and on just how he's growing us to be more like Jesus and grow closer through his Holy Spirit. Um, welcome to Vertical Life Church, those of you joining us online and those gathered here today. Uh, if you're new, my name is Pastor Joey and we want to say welcome and we believe everyone matters to God and so there's a reason why you're here and uh, we're just encouraged that you chose to spend some time with us this morning. We've been in a series going through the Song of Solomon on marriage called Greatest Hits, because we believe God doesn't just want you to have a one-hit wonder with your romantic relationships. He wants it to be many hits, many great hits. When you look back at your marriage relationship over the course of your life, that it is the best uh, the best uh, relationship that you ever had. And so um, we just believe that, that God is passionate for marriage. He is passionate to keep people married and to work in our lives that through our marriages we reflect Jesus in everything we say and do. And uh, so with that, we know that the enemy, if God is for it, the enemy is against it. And so he's going to be doing everything he can to tear it apart, to break it up, and to, uh, and to ruin the blessings that God has for us. Today is really going to be a conversation for single people and parents that have kids that are in that stage of life where they're getting ready to really have to deal with the cultural pressures in regarding to relationships. And so this is going to be kind of like a fatherly conversation today. I know I'm not old enough to be uh, everyone's dad in here, but I, I feel like a spiritual father in that responsibility. Uh, but um, I want this to be encouraging, and, and we appreciate the encouraging words my wife and I have received over the course of this series. Uh, many people have talked about how this has impacted them, and that's been very encouraging to us. And I want to give a special shout out to my wife. I really am missing her up this morning, uh, but she has to leave early to take London to an event this afternoon, so she w- wasn't able to join me today. But I had her proofread the notes, so I, th- I, think, we're, I think we're good. Uh, but... Uh, um, I just want to burst the bubble this morning. Can I do that? So everyone look side to side. Look at the person next to you. Look behind you. And look in front of you. You see all the couples here today? Every one of them has problems. Every one of them has difficulties and struggles and are going through a season. Some of the couples here today are only half here because only one spouse is here today, right? So for all those that are single in the room and even for our young young people, I want to bust the bubble today because there is no such thing as the perfect marriage. No such thing. And I know as we grow up in our homes and we look at our parents, even if they had a great relationship, we kind of get this idea uh, that, that... what relationships should be, and then when we get our own relationships and things don't pan out the way we expected, we almost feel like something's exceptionally wrong with us because this isn't what I thought it was going to be. But I would just want to tell you here today, there will never be a perfect marriage until the church marries Christ at the second coming. Period. So we're here today to talk about real things real struggles, and help you 
navigate that in a way that will bring you to the best possible place of blessing, the strongest relationship you can. So no matter where you are, if you're married today, no matter where you are in your relationship, and even if you're single and you've been feeling kind of gypped, like, man, I, I haven't even had the chance to be married yet. Whatever you're going through, no matter what season you're in, the best possible thing you can do is hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. The minute you lose hope, you almost nail the nail in the coffin. So I want to encourage you, no matter what you're going through, to hold on to hope today. Why? Because the same God who raised Jesus from the dead can raise any relationship out of the pit. If you think of the disciples, after Jesus died, that looked like a hopeless situation. They just saw Jesus massacred. His, his skin flayed off his body. He was beaten worse than any possible human being. A, a spear jabbed into his side, piercing his heart sack. There's no possible way, physically, he could have survived that. Their Lord was dead. But yet, three days later, the stone was rolled away. That's the kind of God we serve. So I don't know what stones are in the way, but the same God that raised Jesus can raise you. He can bring your joy back. He can restore what's been broken. And we want to help you have success in your relationship. We hope along this journey you've been able to glean some wisdom for your relationships, those of you that have been married and those that have been single, kind of hearing about stuff that married people go through and get some new tools in your tool belt. But today we want to address some, some issues in our culture that are working against marriage before you even get there. Some things that you can focus on now to position yourself to make sweet music with your spouse when you get there one day. And for parents to really rethink maybe your approach to parenting to help raise your children and come alongside your children in a way that sets them up for the best success that they can have. We're going to begin in Song of Solomon chapter 8. But this time, it's not the woman or the man speaking. We've kind of, in the story, been hearing from the woman and hearing from the man, and it's been lovey-dovey and gushy-gushy and everything's that make the teens squirm, all the youth that are in the room today. But this time, we're going to hear from the wife's brothers, who are actually going to take us to a flashback of before she ever even met Solomon, before they were even married, kind of their part, their role in this relationship. In Song of Solomon, chapter 8, beginning in verse 8, the brothers say, We have a little sister too young to have breasts. What will we do for our sister if someone asks to marry her? If she is a virgin like a wall, we'll protect her with a silver tower. But if she is promiscuous like a swinging door, we will block her door with a cedar bar. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have left us instruction on how to guard and protect our marriages, how to keep the marriage bed undefiled, to keep marriage sacred and holy, God, because you're passionate about marriage. That is, the, that is the program you desired to use to reveal your glory into the world as, as we have and raise up godly offspring, that our offspring would go off and to reach the nations with the gospel and to reveal your glory to all the world. And so, God, we just thank you how you're recapturing a vision for marriage, how you're restoring brokenness, and how you are raising up young people and singles who have been out in the world and immersed in this culture to stand up as lights in the darkness. And God, we ask you to be with this conversation. Lead and guide us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So here we have two brothers. 
talking about how they're going to protect their sister. Now, if you've read through the book of Song of Solomon, we're never told about the father. He's never mentioned. Her mother is mentioned, but the father is never mentioned. So there's a good possibility here that this woman that marries this man that we've been reading about comes from a broken home. Either, either there was a death in the family early on and she grew up without a father and she's being raised by a single mother, or there was a divorce or some kind and he's just not in the picture. We don't really know. But what we do know is the brothers in this moment, looking at their sister, are taking it upon themselves to stand in the gap for them, for her, to look out for their little sister. And this reinforces the importance of family. This, the importance of family. To be there for each other. To look out for one another. You know, we tell our kids often in our home, yes, it's awesome to hang out with your friends and you get along with your friends and it's exciting to go hang out and have sleepovers and all this stuff, but watch how you mistreat your siblings. Because chances are, after high school, you're not going to see many of your friends ever again. But you will always have your siblings unless something happens. So your siblings, your family, is among the most important relationships you have. Why? Because we go to bat for each other. We look out for each other. Our spiritual family, those who God has brought you together to unite with as a spiritual family in your church, are important relationships so that we can look out for each other. So here these brothers are looking at their sister and how they can guard and protect her, and they're really looking at two options how to do this because there are really two scenarios. And I know this focuses on a sister, but this could be a brother as well. This, we could apply this both ways. So the first way they look at her, they say, if she is like a wall. Somebody say, like a wall. Like a wall. What does it mean to be like a wall? Well, what do walls do? They are raised up for protection, right? If you think about the Great Wall of China, it was built hundreds and hundreds of miles you can be viewed from space why was it built it was built to keep out invading armies it's to protect what's on the inside of the wall from the dangers on the outside of the wall so over and over again when we read the song of solomon in song of solomon chapter 2 verse 7 in chapter 3 verse 5 in Song of Solomon chapter 8, verse 4, there is a theme all throughout Scripture. And anytime the Bible repeats itself, God's trying to get our attention. He's trying to reinforce a truth or a theme. And here's what Song of Solomon 8, 4 says, which was repeated in the other two verses. It says, do not awaken love until the time is right. Do not awaken love. So, so what are they doing? They're saying, if she's like a wall, if she's guarded and protected... Then, then we can respond uh, in a simple way. She's, she's working herself not to awaken love until the time is right. And so we'll respond as if she's a wall. And how do we do that? We raise up to be a tower, right? Even a wall needs a lookout tower. It needs some place where people are stationed at the wall to look out for potential danger. A wall doesn't do a lot of good if it has holes in it, like our southern border. I don't know if you watch the news, but people are just coming on in, you know. Build the wall, okay, but it doesn't matter if there's a hole in it. So, you know, the walls aren't effective if they don't block things out. But even a wall needs a tower. And so they said, if she's a wall, we'll just set ourselves up as towers. We'll be a lookout to help spy any impending danger so that she doesn't awaken love at the wrong time. So the single people here today, and young people, 
what we need to pull from this is we need to take it upon ourselves before marriage to be like a wall. To be like a wall. To not awaken love until the time is right. Because the wall, the protection is going to keep you from unwittingly inviting danger into your camp, into your life to cause unnecessary pain and, and, and harm to your future relationship. So how do we do that? One, right now, you need to decide now. Commit right now when it comes to your future relationships. When you're alone by yourself and when you're out in public around other people, that you are going to conduct yourself in a manner that protects your future relationship. You see, there, there are many influences we have. There, there's influences when we're alone of things that we can engage in, and there are influences and things we can do when we're out in public, partying with our friends, going out. If we don't decide now to put things in place that guard and protect our future relationship, we've just ripped a hole open in the wall. We need to set up safeguards, rules, and expectations for ourselves that we personally commit to live by, personal convictions that you don't violate like watching or listening to filth, going to compromising places, being alone with the opposite sex where temptations are um, just apparent, hanging out with people that encourage you to uh, live worldly and not godly. But the second scenario that we have is not just living like a wall, if she's a wall. The other scenario they were considering is if she was like a swinging door. Somebody say swinging door. Have you guys ever watched those old westerns where they're walking into the saloon and they've got, you know, the spurs on and say like clank, 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 and then they walk and they bust the doors open in the saloon and the doors swing open this way and that way and they kind of rock back and forth? Here's what they're getting at. If she's like a door, that means anyone and anything can just come and go as they please. That's what it means to be promiscuous. There, there's no safeguard. There's no protection. Anyone can just come and go as they please. It's like the southern border with the hole in it. If she's more like a swinging door, they said, we're, we're, we can't just be a lookout. We have to do something more. We have to be like a cedar beam. We have to be like a medieval castle. When they close the doors, what do they do? They get the big beam and put it behind the door to lock the door. So even if the army has a battering ram and they're trying to get in, it's reinforcing the door so nothing can get past the door. If she is a door, we are going to be the cedar beam. We will lock the door so she doesn't unawaken love before the time is right. That others aren't able to take advantage of her, hurt her, so she's not misguided and gets disregarded. But see, this unfortunately is the greater trend in our world today. More of us grow up to be doors than we do walls. We become like doors. Chastity, purity, and holiness are on the decrease when promiscuity is on the rise. According to ifstudies.org, by, the two th by 2010, the 2010s, studies show that only 5% of new brides were virgins. At the other end of the distribution, the number of future wives who had 10 or more intimate partners before marriage increased from 2% in the 1970s to 14% in the 2000s and up to 18% by 2010. And it's increasing. Overall, American women are far more likely to have multiple premarital intimate partners in recent years. This is a trend. 
And, and before you think, well, what about the men? Here's the sad part. Men are actually, according to the study, are unreliable in their reporting, either through memory or their unwillingness to be truthful. And so they don't have real stats on the men. But what we do know from earlier statistics, since men are usually the aggressors, the amount of men that enter into marriage as virgins is probably far fewer. So we can assume that this is an epidemic, not just for women, but definitely for men. Matter of fact, according to this, for intimate encounters in general, the number of virgin men entering marriage is a lot lower than women. And here it says 5%. Think about that. 5% of women enter into marriage as a virgin, someone who's never been with anyone else. And that's not any kind of category specific. That's women in general. So what does that say about the church keeping the marriage bed holy and sacred? It doesn't say very much. Earlier in our study, in the statistics we revealed, found that multiple intimate partners prior to marriage could lead to less happier marriages and it increases the odds of divorce. Those with fewer intimate partners, the studies show, were less likely to divorce. There were considerable differences by marriage cohort, but the three cohorts in the study, the women who married as virgins had the lowest rates of divorce by far. So what does this tell us? It tells us that God's way is still the best way. It's the truth. God's way is still the best way for men and for women. We live in a broken world, which means every marriage that will ever exist is going to have some brokenness. Christians in Christian marriage are going to experience brokenness, but the path to the best relationship you can have, the best you can experience, is doing things the way God instructs us to do in his word. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that what? You might have life, and life more abundantly. God doesn't want to ruin your fun, put a damper on your relationships, or make things hard for you. He wants the absolute best for you. He wants the absolute best. So knowing this, Christians are still falling into this trap. We're still following the way of the world. We're, we're not becoming walls, and we're not producing more walls in our homes, but more swinging doors. And we have to ask the question, why is this? What, what is the influence that's leading us this way? And, and we believe it's due to the sexualization of media in all of its forms. And men, we have to own this. I'm just going to say this up front. The men of our culture have to own this. There's a principle in economics called supply and demand. The more demand you have for a product, the more supply is created to meet the demand. If the demand for the sexualization and exploitation of women was not so high, we wouldn't see it so relatively apparent in our culture. And this is on us. If we weren't driving the sexualization of our culture, we wouldn't see what we see today. And if it weren't for sexualization women wouldn't believe deep down that the only way to get a man's attention was with their appearance or showing off their bodies. And ladies, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that this is the world you're living in and this is the message you receive every day you turn on the television or open a magazine or walk out the door. Men and boys... We put this pressure on women every time we're caught gawking at them and staring at them and checking them out. And I just want to bust another bubble here today for all the dudes in the room. Girls know when you're looking at them. 
as a husband and a father of two girls, I can tell you they know. And at most, it's annoying. But when you're with your wife and you're 80 years old looking at a 15-year-old, it's gross. It's gross. So we've developed a term in our household that's called creeper. This person has the creeper vibe. You know, the creeper alert. It's a common term in our household. Men, you don't want to be a creeper. You don't want to be the roaming eyes guy. Because just as you can be promiscuous with your body, you can also be promiscuous with your eyes and your mind. And we need a generation of men to raise up and say, I'm going to build a wall around my eyes. I'm going to build a wall around my mind. I'm going to take every thought captive and submit it to be obedient to Christ. So if you think about the recent media and television, in the 1950s, there was a popular show called I Love Lucy. Remember that? I'm not going to do any impressions because I'll totally embarrass myself. But not long ago, the media portrayed a husband and wife in separate beds. They would have never thought about showing scandalous material or inappropriate material on television. And now we can only wish to go back there. The things that are shown on television. Literally, if they were wearing their eye masks, they'd be covered from head to toe. Their pajamas were full length, full arms, full legs. There was never any hint of impropriety. But today, there's another story. And sexuality is far more apparent. And there is a specifically targeted cohort that's being exploited According to the website VeryWellMind.com, sexualization is everywhere, especially in children's TV shows, in movies, ads, video games, in retail and marketing campaigns, in social media posts, in pornography, and the more. Girls are often pressured by society to be more sexually attractive to the members of the opposite sex, to wear tighter clothing, more revealing clothing, post sexier images, act more feminine, and engage in inappropriate behaviors. Boundaries are constantly being pushed by the media and individuals. We see female celebrities wearing provocative clothing in music videos, on award shows, and social media. And even if these women are strong role models, they say, the way they dress, pose, and engage in sexually charged conversations can be very impactful on girls. So when our young girls are exposed to numerous unrealistic media portrayals, of girls their age, this can lead to internal conflict, confusion, and or even self-loathing. I don't look like this person. I don't measure up to that standard. The sexualization of young girls, they continue as an ongoing problem in America that's leading to a myriad of problems from exposing girls to societal pressures and perpetuating sexualized violence. Sexualization is negatively impacting many girls' cognitive functioning as well as their physical and mental health the sexualization of young girls occurs when individuals or when a society explicitly or implicitly demonstrates that a girl's value comes from and only her sexual appeal or behavior to the exclusion of all other characteristics or when she is sexually objectified or sexually inappropriately imposed upon her. So this is a real deal. I was trying to explain this to my, uh, my kids not long ago when we were having this conversation at home. And it's important to talk about these things. If, if you ever notice, whenever you watch a movie, even like the popular Marvel superhero movies that are supposed to be like family-oriented, any time the woman is brought on that's supposed to be attractive, the camera starts at her toes and works its way up to her face so that you get a scan of her entire body. 
And what does that mirror? It mirrors a man checking out a woman. Where you're here for entertainment, but you're forced into sexualization. This is something that is apparent. It happens all of the time. And this is one of the reasons why we actually canceled our Netflix subscription. They've always had things on there, but recently they had a film, and I'm not going to name the name because it's not worth your time, but it was a film that depicted 11-year-old girls in sexually charged and racially explicit behavior. The world is not getting better, y'all. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And if they can get away with it now, you can only imagine in 10 years. There seems to be a grooming of young girls to accept more sexually charged environments, acceptance of different behaviors, and even now in Ivy League schools, people are going around to defend pederastic relationships and promoting them as good things. Our kids are under assault. And there's a lie that's being perpetrated by some of the very same voices that are trying to fight this issue but they're really empowering it. The, the lie is that in order to be um, attractive or in order, in order to be powerful as a woman, you must be sexy, and that being sexy is powerful, and that mindset's created uh, in women in our culture that, that skin is in. This is the, we can see this just plain as day. The more you show, the sexier you are, the more powerful or fierce you are, the more you display your sexuality, the, the more uh, confident you seem to be. Uh, but the problem is, is I've never had a conversation with a woman who's ever said she thought it was okay for a man to sexualize or objectify a woman. It's never, it's never, it's never been a thing. Like, do you think this is okay? No. Matter of fact, we have laws, sexual harassment laws. We also have movements like the Me Too movement who are trying to fight this in, in all different levels of our culture. But the lie that's going on in the acceptance that we've seen to embrace in our culture is that the same people fighting it are part of the problem as they are engaged in the films, the TV, the advertisements that display women in a sexual way. And the, the lie is empowering the exploiters to get women to do the job for them. I mean, it's, it's crazy to me, and being immersed in this world and coming out of it, the things you wake up to. You see, if a man can get a woman to put herself out there without him having to do anything, then his job is done. It's total manipulation. And so women are objectifying themselves by posing in sexual ads, participating in sexual content, posting sexual posts on social media, and helping the culture become more sexualized. They're doing the very things to themselves that they're trying difficult or really hard to fight or to defeat. And this is what breaks my heart because they don't even know. They don't even know. Here's how corrupt our society is and here's how, here's how where we've come to this place. On July 21st, 2021, this is a New York Times post. The New York Times reported that the Norway women's handball players competing at the Olympic level, were fined because the Olympic Commission sued them for refusing to wear the bikini outfits they were requiring them to wear during the competition. The Olympic Commission sued a team because they wanted to be more modest when they performed. That is our culture. And what does that say? How is that fair? The men can be covered, but the women can't. 
And the more we accept it, the more it becomes normal, the more this becomes part of the fabric and culture of our lives. And this is part of the program of the enemy kingdom. Why? If he can corrupt us sexually, he can make a god out of sex, make us worship sex, and he's been doing this since Genesis chapter 6, then he can cause a breakdown in family relationships and erode marriage from the fabric of our culture altogether. He can destroy what God intended to bring blessing and goodness. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4 said, in the last days, people will actually say it's wrong to be married. And he called it the doctrines of devils, the teachings of the demonic. And this is where we're going in our culture. If we don't wake up to this, we'll get absorbed into it. And people are getting married later and later in life. Studies show that people are getting later five to seven years getting married rather than getting married earlier. And why? It's because cohabitation is on the rise. We're not getting married, we're cohabitating. We're treating marriage like buying a new car. We've got to test drive it first. As a single person or even a married person in today's culture, if we're not careful, if we're not discerning and on guard, we will get caught up in the lie and help continue the cycle of brokenness. And as a parent with kids, I just want to say, if you're not preparing your children by first barring the door, if you're just letting them navigate things themselves, you are setting them up for failure. It's not one conversation. It's many conversations. It's many conversations. If you've only had one conversation and you've let society, schools, I mean, I learned a lot of information on the bus going to school. It wasn't good information. If you've only had one conversation, you're way behind. And you should be talking to your kids at least by the age of nine because from nine to 12 is the first time kids are exposed to internet pornography. If, you've, if they're 13, 14, 15, you've not talked to them, you, you've, you've lost. You lost the race. You're backtracking now. So what do we do? As a people of God, how are we supposed to fit in? How are we supposed to fit in with the culture? How are we supposed to find Mr. and Mrs. Right? How are we supposed to have healthy relationships with the opposite sex without following the trends in our culture? What do we do to combat these lies and put ourselves on good footing for the best possible relationship we can have in marriage? Some of these things that we're going to talk about here have been repeated through our series, but they, it's worth addressing again because if we don't get this, we're, we're, we're defeating ourselves. What can we do to combat the lies of the culture? Well, the first thing we need to do as a single person before marriage and as a young person still living at home with mom and dad is we need to renew our thoughts and beliefs about purity and modesty. We need to renew. Well, why renew? It's because the world's already taught us a different way to think. So we need to renew our mind. Romans 12, 2. This is, this is a verse everyone should memorize because it comes to play in so many different ways. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. I want us to read that first phrase together. Let's read it together. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. What is the pull on every one of our hearts to copy the behaviors and customs of the world? To fit in. So we have to renew our mind. The culture has power over the way we think. 
So we have to meditate on Scripture, on the Bible, long enough to let God's truth become what we believe and what we trust. It has to be our foundation. We have to let those truths sink in and start believing that what God says is true over what the culture is selling us. So what does the Bible say? Well, it says don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. The goal for your life, follower of Jesus, is not to fit in with the culture. That's not your goal. The goal is to honor Jesus with your life, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be not conformed to the world, but transformed. Honoring Jesus and his sacrifice for you should be the first and foremost desire on all of our hearts. In what we watch, what we listen to, where we go, how we speak, who we hang out with, what we let influence us, and even down to what we wear. When it comes to present and future relationships, we first need to be transformed. And not only just in how we think about the culture in general, but our view of marriage. Hebrews 13, 4 is, a, is an important verse. It says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. So there's honoring marriage before you're married and being faithful to honor it when you're in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. So we need to keep the marriage bed sacred, set apart. The marriage is honorable. It's not the last resort after you get pregnant, which seems to be the trend in our culture. We hook up, we shack up, we get pregnant. Okay, now let me get married. But that is backward to what God desired for your good. You're inviting brokenness into your life. So we give honor to marriage, which means we are like a wall. We're protectively and proactively shielding ourselves from anything that can bring compromise and against everyone that might try to influence us to violate our conscience in the safeguards we have in place. Why? Because we're not going to awaken love until the right time. We're not going to awaken love. We're going to put a bar on the door. We're going to lock it down. And so you might ask the question, you know, I know this was a question we asked a lot when we were younger, when we were middle school and high school, and we had these conversations with youth leaders. We would often ask, well, then before I get married, how far can I go? Like, how far is too far? Like, like what, what can we do? You know, like, I'm, I'm dating this girl, and I like her, and she makes me feel funny, and, you know, like, what, what are we allowed to do? Well, guys... That's the wrong question. We need to change the way we think. The question is not what can I do. The question is, is who can I do it with? And the answer is your spouse. That's the answer. It's your spouse. You see, what you give away before you're married robs your spouse of what they could have when you get married. Everything you give away before you're married robs your spouse of what they could have when you get married. And it opens the door for potential issues like comparison. Well, I wonder if I kissed better than he did when she was with him or, or if she likes, he likes this from her better than she likes me. There's so many different things that are introduced that create dysfunction in relationships, heartache, jealousy, insecurity. So the Bible says the marriage bed is to be kept holy, sacred, pure, and honorable. What's that mean? It means you save yourself for your spouse. 
the one God brings to you, your spouse and your spouse alone. Why? So that when you're, you're naked, you can do it and be naked without shame. Just as God desired in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. So number two, this needs to not only retrain what we think about marriage, we also need to retrain how we think about dating. So many of us just like going out, hanging out with big groups of people because we have the potential of meeting somebody from the opposite sex. Like that's kind of like tucked in the back of your mind when you have a, a guy's night and you're single. You're like, oh, we're going to go cruising. Like back in the day, we would go cruising up and down the road and in, uh, in my friend's car and saying, well, man, are we gonna, maybe we're going to meet some girls tonight. I don't know. You know. But we were all a bunch of chickens and it never worked out. So uh, it's just a pipe dream. But uh, you know, we, when we go out, we like that possibility of meeting somebody new, but it's in that process we end up giving ourselves away before the time is right. And we do it in hopes of cultivating a lasting relationship, but studies show that most relationships don't last. Even ones where a child is born, those relationships tend to not last past five years. So rather than dating to date and just try to, try to find that, that someone out in the pool of people, we need to date to marry. Instead of dating to date and just meet people, we need to date to marry. There is a difference between dating to date and dating to marry. When you date to date, you just kind of try to figure out what you like from different kind of people. But when you date to marry, you already know what you're looking for before you engage in relationship. So rather than trying to figure it out on the fly, we need to know what we want or what we're looking for in a potential mate before we date. In 1 Corinthians 7, 34 through 35, Paul's addressing both single men and women. And here he says, In the same way, a woman is no longer, uh, who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord in holy, in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. So we're having this conversation not to limit fun, not to put restrictions on you. Here's what he says. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. When we have hearts that are fully devoted to the Lord, when they're not distracted with relational things, we set up guards for ourselves. We can guard our hearts from bringing in dysfunction, but it enables us to, to filter out the things we don't want to be connected to so we can focus on what we should be connected to. So a wall, being like a wall, keeps out the distractions to focus wholly on serving the Lord. And I just want to just throw this out there. Love is not something you fall into. Love is something you learn. Love is not something you fall. If you can fall into love, you can also fall out of love. So love is not something you fall into. Love is something you learn. So when you're looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, you're not looking for someone to fall in love with, but you're looking for a list of qualities, qualities that are necessary to be a potential spouse. So what are some of those qualities? Well, number one, the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? We tell our kids all the time, what you're looking for is do they love Jesus? Not do they attend church or do they have a Christian background? Do they love Jesus? There's a difference. I was uh, performed a funeral this week and I was speaking to the funeral director and, 
and, and, and I asked her, you know, are you seeing anybody? Do you, you know, are you with somebody you married? And she's like, well, I have a boyfriend, and, you know, they were living together. And I said, well, how that, how's that going? She's like, eh, not so great. And she's telling me about her church background and where she goes to church. And I'm like, well, does he go to church? And she's like, mm, it's not really his thing. No wonder it's not going so great. Right? You're not even in the same place. Right? So what's he saying? He's like, don't be connected with unbelievers. Why? You're inviting, there's no light there. You're inviting darkness to be a part of what God has in you. Right? If the Holy Spirit's not there, there's no light of God, then all there is is darkness. And Jesus said, if the, darkness, if the light you have is really darkness, how dark is that? It's pretty dark. So that there's nothing good that can be found in a relationship where there is one believer and one unbeliever. Just don't do it. Well, Pastor Joey, could he become a believer later in life? Yes, but how much sacrifice and pain are you willing to go through to get there? It's hard enough having a marriage where both are believers, let alone starting off on the wrong footing. So if the person doesn't love Jesus, there's no Holy Spirit in them, they're not an option. Move on. But if they are, number two, do they share your vision for the future? Think about how you're, like what you feel God is leading you to do in your life. Where are you going to work? Are you going into the ministry or are you going to be working a secular job? How many kids do you want? Do you want kids? Where are you going to go to church? Are you going to go to a Catholic church or are you going to spend church at the non-denominational church and the Baptist church? Like, like where are you going to go? Like, what, what is the picture that you're going to be forming as a family? Where are you going to live? Do you want to live out in the country where you have no neighbors or do you want a neighborhood that where kids come over every five minutes and asking to stay over every night of the week? Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah, can you have a sleepover? No! Why? Because you just slept over last night. But, but how are you going to make up your life? How are you going to live? Number three, are they pursuing a pure relationship and a pure marriage? Are they a wall? Or are they a door? You see, love doesn't seek its own. 1 Corinthians 13 says love doesn't seek its own. It's not after what it can find for itself. Ladies, if he's pressuring you to get alone and mess around, he's not the one. And men, if she's pressuring you to get alone and mess around, she's not the one. Because she's not looking out for your best interest, or he's not looking out for your best interest. They're looking out for their own interest. What real love is, it's not getting what you want. John 15, 13, Jesus tells us what love really is. He says, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. The love we see in Christ, what true love is, it's not about what I can get from them. It's how can I serve them. It's how can I serve them. It's not getting your needs met. It's meeting their needs. So if they're only interested in getting their needs met, then you should reevaluate them as a potential mate. And it happens incrementally over a long period of time. If they're, if they're working on Certain aspects, if they're working on, you know, things, that's great. But people don't change overnight. They don't. If you have a problem with this person before you're married, you're going to still have that problem and probably worse after you're married. You will. I just want to put this out. What you're dealing with now is going to be something you continue to deal with. Can God change people? Yes, but it doesn't happen overnight. I pray every day for God to make me perfect. That hasn't happened yet. 
You know, they're, they're, we all struggle with stuff. And so we've got to take these things seriously when we're looking for who we're going to spend the rest of our life with. The next important thing is, what are your towers saying? If you're living like a wall, you need towers in your life. You need people in your life who can watch for warning signs, who can warn you of things that are coming down the line that might be problematic. So who are the towers in your life? This is why family is important. You need to lean on your family because they're the closest to you. They know you the best, and they know what uh, might be negatively affecting you. And maybe you don't have a strong family unit. Well, then you need to lean on church family. You need to bring people into your life that can be that source of accountability. Let those who love you examine who you're interested in and who is interested in you. You know, we see this, this phrase all the time. We talk about rose-colored glasses. Some people call them beer goggles, but we'll call rose-colored glasses because we're in church. When you have rose-colored glasses on, you cannot see clearly. Like when you first meet somebody and the, the feelers are all going, you got the emotions going, you can't see clearly. You don't know if you're looking at destiny or a dead end. You don't know if you're looking at a darling or a deadbeat. You don't know. Why? Because the emotions get in the way. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but many advisors, they succeed. You need people in your life who see through the emotion who are looking out for your best interest, that can say, hey, girl, hey, boy, that's a bad idea. There's some things here that don't smell right. I'm worried about how I see this is affecting your life. This means that you need to bring the individual into your inner circle to get checked out. The second thing we need to retrain our thoughts on is this, um, this mindset that you don't want to be in the friend zone when you're trying to date somebody. But I believe the word of God tells us that friend zone gets to the end zone. Friend zone gets to the end zone. The best friends make the best lovers. And this usually gets overlooked. If you aren't good friends, how can you have great intimacy? There's no transparency. You can't build a life on lovey-dovey feelings. It takes true intimacy. So you need to bring them into your friend circle to see how they fit. And then think about possibilities for marriage. If you can't see yourself marrying this person, you shouldn't even consider marrying this person. Like, like really. If you can't see yourself marrying this person, you shouldn't even consider it. So how, how do you know if they're worth considering? Well, you've got to become best friends. You've got to get to know them. And that's a process of time, not an immediate reaction. In 1 Peter 3, 3-5, Peter is talking about cultural influence. He says, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. So though this is directed at ladies, it goes both ways. Physical beauty is overrated, even though that's the primary focus in our culture. But true beauty is not skin deep. It's deeper. It's deeper. It's found in the soul of a person. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. It doesn't matter how hot you are when you're 20, you look different when you're 80. 
You do. I, I'm getting a kick out of life right now because every time I meet a new person, they're like, they see how many kids we have, and they're like, how old are you? You know, when I say I've got a daughter who's starting a job because they think I look 25, and how do I, a 25-year-old have a 15-year-old, you know? And so I'm enjoying that for right now. I'm thinking when I'm 60, that'll be in my favor, right? But looks change. They don't last. So there's got to be something deeper that you're building your life on. And I just want to be clear as we read this passage, the Bible's not telling women it's a sin to do, put on makeup or to do your hair. What it is saying is that shouldn't be the main focus. That shouldn't be the main focus. Cosmetics should be a highlight, not a concealer. You like what I did there? Huh? I pay attention. Cosmetics should highlight your beauty, not conceal an empty heart. No. This is me. I'm taking credit for this completely. If it's good, if it's bad, yeah, she did it. But vanity is a covering. So, my, so many people are involved in plastic surgery and all these things to try to make the outside look so good and never to cover up the brokenness on the inside. People do this with religion too. If I do all this stuff that's good in Jesus' name, then I can cover up the brokenness that I'm trying to hide. You see, behavior can't change a heart, but a changed heart will impact your behavior. So cosmetics shouldn't be a cover-up. It should be a highlight. And ladies, I want to speak life over you to combat the lies the enemy has spoken over your entire lives. Your beauty is not tied to the clothes you wear or the lack thereof. It's not tied to the styles or fads. It's not tied to your makeup or how you do your hair or even how many colors are in your hair. Your beauty is tied to how submitted you are to Jesus Christ. How much you love the Lord. That's true beauty. That's true beauty. It's kind of funny. My wife and I joke around sometimes about this. Have you ever noticed that sometimes really attractive people are like married to not so attractive people? And, it, I mean, it's just like something we've noticed in culture, and, and it's kind of hits close to home because my wife didn't really date very many um, people, and the ones that she dated weren't very attractive, and she married me. So I'm like, what's that say? <laughs> you know, and I had, a, I had a friend in college one time come up to me and be like, bro, you should write a book. And I'm like, why? He's like, how'd you hook up with her, you know? I'm like, thank you. I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult. I just, I don't know how to take that. Hence the reason why I've been on a diet plan for 17 years. But your attractiveness is not tied to the way you look. It's tied to your heart. Why does the unattractive man have the good-looking woman and vice versa? It's because with an ugly heart, the most beautiful person is not attractive. But with a beautiful heart, the most unattractive person is gorgeous. It's just the way it is. Men, your attractiveness is not in your looks. It's not in your bank account. It's not in the car you drive, the skills on the field, your rank on PlayStation, boys. Girls don't care what your high score is. Just saying. They don't care. What they do care is how much you love Jesus. You know, I'm just going to be honest. I have two beautiful girls, and I am scared for them. 
there's an epidemic in our culture of men who don't love Jesus. There are not very many options. The church, Christian families, have failed. We failed. Because there are, I mean, who are, who are girls going to marry? There's so few. And I'm worried, as a dad, that my girls are going to settle because they can't find anyone. We've been pursuing other things. We put other things before Christ, and we get to the place where we're ready for marriage, and there aren't any men around who have given Jesus their whole heart. And if your heart belongs to Jesus, that's going to be the most attractive thing. A man or a woman who's set up for marriage success is one who keeps themselves in modesty, prepares themselves for spousal in- intimacy, recognizing your body is your gift to your future husband or your future wife. How we use our bodies before marriage will often determine the health of our hearts we're trying to give in marriage. Being a door, beloved, allows others to trample on your treasure. And on your wedding day, you're going to provide your spouse with spoiled goods. Your soul will be tied to others and be pulling you away from the intimacy that you could have. But being a wall safeguards your heart, keeps your treasure protected, and sets you up for success and blessings of the Lord. Again, there are no perfect marriages, but you can have a good one. You can have a good one. So if you're single here today, you're one of our young people, one of our youth, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I a wall or am I a door? Am I guarded or am I vulnerable? Again, there are no perfect people. You might be like, well, I'm a wall, I'm locked down. But even walls need towers. We need accountability. We need people who love us to speak into our lives, to put safeguards in place to protect our purity and the treasure that's been given to us by the Lord. So if you don't have an accountability structure, you need to begin to develop one. If you don't have godly parents at home, you don't have that influence at home, you need to lean on those that are in the church God has put in your life to help you be that guard, to be that safeguard. So ask yourself, who in my life can be a watchtower for me? And the married people here today, some, you've been a watchman on the wall. You're guarding your kids, but you don't have anybody watching your marriage. When your life gets desperate, who is the one that you can call that can speak life and not point you to the divorce court? Oh, you just need to go find someone who makes you happy. No. You need to submit to God, trust in the Lord, and let him do a miracle in your life. Who is in your life, married couples, who's watching the wall? We should all ask ourselves, where have we been compromised? Where have we been looking for love? If you're single, are you looking for love at the bar or before the Lord? What do you need to rule out of your life and what do you need to rule into your life to bar the door? And maybe it's counseling because of pain in the past. We're not going to overlook that some people have experienced some very traumatic things when they were young. And those traumas, those pains, lead them to try to deal with it in many different ways. Maybe you need counseling over a long period of time to help you repair and become mentally healthy and emotionally healthy. But what do you need to rule out and what do you need to rule in? Who's in your life? Who do you need to submit to? And I'm here to tell you that 
it's been very difficult. We're now in the stage where we've got teenagers, and it's been very difficult being a bar on the door, transitioning into a watchtower. I asked my daughter if I could share this, and we'll wrap up here, but I just, my personal belief, if any boy wants to date my daughter, if he doesn't have the courage to ask me, it's a no. Period. If he's not man enough to ask me, he's not man enough to take her out. And we have this rule in our home that we're just not doing dates. We're not, we're not doing that. And there have been too many boys who thought they were men trying to get my daughter to date her behind our backs. The fastest way for a beat down from a daddy is try to get your daughter, his daughter, to date behind her back. You respect them, boys. You respect the girls that you're interested in. And you respect their parents. Well, my daughter is now 15. She's starting her first, first job. She's got her permit, so soon she'll be able to drive without a parent in the car, which is scaring me to death. Yeah. But there was a boy that was interested in texting with her, and we, you know, typically, historically, didn't allow her to text boys because we just didn't want to open that door. But I'm thinking she's about to start work and drive. How is she not going to communicate with boys at that point. It's going to be near impossible. So my wife and I were talking, and, and we were just like, yeah, we'd, it was more her than me because I'm a little slower on this side, but we're like, we need to start transitioning this relationship. If we don't teach her how to deal with these things now, when she's on her own, she's going to be up a creek and not know what to do with it. And so there was a young man that was interested in talking with her, and so we finally, with much weeping, crying, and moaning, decided, okay, you can text him. But we're going to talk to you about this first. And we sat her down and we started talking to her about the way boys are. As a recovering boy, I know what certain things mean and what, what direction things are going when certain questions are being asked. And, uh, and my wife was, you know, was right in there. She was giving input. And so we're like, okay, when you, if he asks this question, here's what Here's what he's trying to get. He may not know it, but this is ultimately where he's going. And lo and behold, prophecy was fulfilled. We were right. And here's what it did. It made her trust us. Because we weren't just trying to kill her fun. She knew we were looking out for her. And two, it helped her navigate it for the future for when it happens again. So in this area, we don't have to bar the door because she knows we're watching on the wall. And we're there to help guard and protect her. And some parents, you've been a bar so long, you forgot to transition. And when your kids went out on their own, there's no wonder why they became hellions and rebellious. You didn't prepare them. You're not preparing them. We have to make that transition with our kids. We have to grow with our kids. We can't forget that this is a process. It's a growing process. And some of you, you, you weren't watching at the tower. You weren't even barring the door. And you just let your kids pretty much raise themselves. And you're just letting them fend themselves in the world. And, and you're not checking in and not investing in them. You're setting them up for relational failure. We have to be involved and engaged in our younger generations. If they're a door, we need to bar the door. If they're a wall, we need to be a tower. 
and some of us may be facing real issues in our home, but we can't forget that little Johnny and little Jane are still sinners like the rest of us. Sinners are going to sin. And no matter how cute and precious your kids are, they're going to make mistakes. And if we're not preparing them as best as we can to not only avoid mistakes, but walk through how to rebound, man, how to not live under guilt and shame after you make a mistake, that's as valuable as avoiding the mistake altogether. If we're not coming alongside of our kids, we're just setting them up for failure. And this is something we're, we're walking through right now with, with our kids, how to prepare them so at the right time they can make the right decision on their own. So the future is at stake, and dysfunction has caused one compromise at a time. If we want to stop these dysfunctional cycles in families, then we need to protect our younger generations. We need to come alongside of them. And a surefire way to do that is to be a wall or a bar on the door. So our challenge for you today is to ask yourself, am I a wall or am I a door? What expectations or personal rules or convictions do I need to put in my place to put in place to guard the gift that God has given me? Parents, is my child a wall or are they a door? And what expectations, personal rules, convictions do you need to put in place to help guard the gift God has given them? And I believe that God wants good for us. He wants the best marriage we can have. He wants the best life that we can have. And the way to do that is doing it his way. Amen. And we're going to end with um, a Q&A question that came in. It's perfect timing. The question was, is it ever a good idea to be alone with the opposite sex, no matter the age? No. Okay, let's be done. No. <laughs> I just want to give some, some wisdom here. The Bible never says, there's not a verse in Scripture that says, thou shalt not be alone with a person of the opposite sex. Never says that. So I would say, depending on the situation, depending on the situation. So my personal conviction is to not ever be alone with another person of the opposite sex ever in any circumstance, whether it's in a car or in an office, especially without the door shut. It's just a personal rule I have for myself. There are very few extenuating circumstances where that happens. Most recently was at the funeral, you know, where in the funeral car, the funeral director was a female, and she drives the pastor to the, to the gravesite and back. So very few, if not very rare, does this ever happen. But as a general rule, I just don't do that. Why? Because any and anything can happen. Any and anything can happen. In 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 24, it says, I'm willing to do anything, or I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. So don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So it might be permissible to be alone with someone of the opposite sex and not be a sin, but that doesn't mean it's the best decision. Right, especially with, with issues that can arise. I've known many stories of people being falsely accused because they were alone and there was nobody there to reveal the truth. There is unexpected flirtation or attempted flirtation or things that can happen when you're alone. There's just a lot of things that, that can go down. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said, Keep watch and pray so that you'll not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. You might want to do what's right, but you can't trust yourself. 
you can't trust yourself. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful that you're not going to fall. So there are, there are warnings that if a situation could be compromising, then the best thing to do is to avoid the situation, especially in a marriage, especially in a marriage. Proverbs 22.3 says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution, but the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. It's wise to assess potential problems and take precaution to handle it. A fool goes in blindly and just says, I'm going to deal with the consequences when I get there. So to safeguard your marriage, to safeguard your relationships, the best wisdom I can give you is don't be alone with someone who's not your spouse. Before marriage, the best wisdom I can give you as a general rule is don't be alone with someone who's not your spouse, who's of the opposite sex. If you're at a work situation and there's accountability, again, those are things you have to take on a case-by-case basis. But the, the biggest thing I w- I'll speak into, and this kind of would apply to our younger men, um, but I think older single guys is in the same way. There's an unwritten rule, mostly for guys, that guys cannot be best friends with a girl without falling in love with her. It's a truth. Women can do that with guys and not care one iota. They're like, oh, he's just my friend. And really, she means it. He's just my friend. He's like, she's my friend. <sighs> I want to see her again, you know. But guys typically can't do that, especially if attraction's there. Sooner or later, his ego's going to get stroked, and he's going to start to develop feelings for her, and then it makes the relationship awkward. So if you've been friends for a long time, it's still good not to be alone with a person of the opposite sex because many men have fallen because of perceived flirtation and misinterpreted signals. They make a move, and boom, it's a career-ending, marriage-ending decision. So regardless of the circumstances, I would say the best, the best um, wisdom is to not be alone with somebody of the opposite sex to avoid potential temptation. Then face it when you get there. There's a, an evangelist that used to come to our church long ago, and he would tell us at the, our, all of our youth uh, events when he would speak, he said, it's better to say I'm not going to go to the party than I'm not going to drink when I get there. It's better to say I'm not going to the party than I'm not going to drink when I get there. Why? Because you don't know how strong or weak you'll be when you're in a compromising position. So it's better not to do it than to see how strong you are and do it anyway. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the response music to play and then uh, we're going to open up a time for some prayer. I want to invite you after I'm done praying, if you have been a door and God is laying stuff on your heart or maybe you've been a wall but you don't have accountability or maybe there's just some things in your life and this message has stuck out to you. Maybe you're a single person and there's some things that God has spoken to you as as stuff you want to commit to then I'm going to invite you to come forward and make that commitment before the Lord. To just come and say, God, here's the area I've been messing up. Forgive me. Or God, here's what spoke to me. Here's what I need to be doing. God, open this door. Show me who I can put in my life to be um, those watchmen on the wall. Whatever the case is, I'm going to invite you to come and just commit before the Lord. Take a step. Don't let today be the same as yesterday. God doesn't want that cycle of dysfunction to continue brewing in your life. 
And we want our we want our prayer team available to be able to pray with those that come forward. Maybe you're a parent today and there's some conviction about maybe ways that you've not been engaging with your kids and you want to start engaging. Come forward and nail it. Bring God into it. Bring the Lord into it. And just that simple act of faith of coming down and kneeling before the Lord, I just believe has a powerful way uh, of just working and moving in our lives. So Lord God, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for this series. I thank you for the ways you've been working and moving, the wisdom you've shared from the word, the opportunity to, to speak into some of these circumstances. God, I just pray for our single people today. I pray both for those that have never been married, maybe those that have been widowed, um, those who are divorced. God, just to speak that life that their life isn't over. It's not done. There's still hope. There's still hope. And God, I just pray your grace and mercy would cover them. And today, Lord, that they would commit to being a wall, that you would raise up watchmen on the wall for them, those that will be a good lookout, that would care enough in their lives to speak into things that aren't healthy or maybe that are concerning. And God, that you'd really begin to build the mentoring relationships in this church. I just believe there's so much value that the older generations have for the younger generations. And I pray, God, that, that our older people would rise up as watchmen on the wall for our younger people. And that you would solidify these relationships. God, I pray for our youth. I pray, God, that they would commit today to be walls and not doors. I pray, God, that it would matter. I pray it would matter. That it would matter enough to say, I'm not playing that game. I'm not watching that show. I'm not listening to that music. I'm not hanging out at that kid's house. I'm not going to try to date that girl because they want to keep the marriage sacred and holy. So the day they walk down the aisle will be a day they're giving their bride or their groom the greatest gift they can give. I thank you, Lord, for second chances. I pray, God, for those who who maybe didn't grow up in a godly influence, or maybe they made decisions that they knew weren't your will, and now, now they're, they're dealing with issues and pain in their life. God, I thank you that you are a God of second chances. You're a God of redemption. You're a God of mercy and grace. And you can take a submitted heart and restore it to purity, restore it to honor. You can take a broken relationship and you can resurrect it to something good and so I just pray for us today, wherever we are, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do his healing work. www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.